Well, if you would this morning, I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to the very same passage we were in last week, and that is Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. The Apostle Paul, writing to the churches in the area of Rome, writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Well, we are in kind of a mini-series right now, as I mentioned last week, on what it means to abide in Christ. This is part of the larger series that we are looking at for all of 2017. If you're visiting with us this morning, this year we are looking at what does it mean to be a disciple, a term that we tend to throw around pretty casually. We talk about disciples, that we are a disciple, but what does that really mean? And we are spending this entire year looking at that. And within what it means to be a disciple, we are looking at what it means to abide in Christ. We started out, this is, as I mentioned, I think uh, the fourth of five messages that I'm going to be doing on this. And we started out by looking at John 15, 5, where Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is who bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Abide in me. And then we looked at the fact that when we abide in Christ, it transforms our worship. We go from a self-absorbed, self-consumed, self-reliant life to worshiping Christ alone. He becomes the obsessive focus of our worship, not only when we gather together with the saints of God in church services, but when we are alone, when we are with our families, he is always the focus of our worship. We spent a good deal of time at looking at Romans 12, 1, where Paul, in the first 11 chapters of Romans, lays out the mercies of God, how merciful he has been to us in Christ, and then says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. In response to God's mercy, give your life to Christ in worship. And then he says... This is, or which is, or some translations have, this is your act of spiritual worship, is to respond to God because of his great mercy in Christ. And then we began to look last week at the fact that when we abide in Christ, we have transformed minds. God wants to transform your mind. He says in verse or Paul says in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. Do not think like this world. Do not conform to the philosophy of this world, to this world's worldview, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we looked a, a good deal last week um, at 2 Corinthians 10, 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we are to take every thought 
obedient to Christ. And it means exactly what it says. Every thought means every thought. No matter what we do in our workplace, at home, when we're by ourselves, when we're up at the lake, when we're reading a book, when we're on the internet, when we're watching TV, we are to take every thought captive to Christ. And that brings us to where we're at today. We're actually in the second part of the message that I began last week. So we're just, I stopped kind of right in the middle of the message and we're picking it up again this morning. But let me just say this, just to give you an idea where we're headed. The next two Sundays, the next two Sundays I will be on vacation. Pastor Ron will be preaching. And then when I come back on July 30th, we're going to look at the final part of what it means to abide in Christ, and that is that a disciple's will is surrendered to Christ's will. A disciple's will is fully surrendered to Christ's will. And we will look at that last part of verse 2 that says that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. But what we're going to do this morning is we're going to pick up, if you happen to have the power note, PowerPoint notes that we have out in the foyer. We're going to pick it up at point number two, transformed minds. That's where we're going to start this morning. And I'm going to review just a little bit of where I was at at the end of last week, and then we will pick up the rest of this message. I said to you last week that God wants your mind to be transformed by the living word and the written word. The living word referring to Jesus Christ and the written word, of course, referring to the Bible, to Scripture. God wants your mind, my mind, to be transformed by Christ, by his word. And so he says, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That word transformed is extremely important. And I shared with you that it is not used often in the New Testament, but when it is used, it is used very powerfully. It is only used one time in the Gospels. It is used when Jesus went up on a high mountain, the Bible says, to meet with Peter, James, and John, and what has come to be known as the Mount of Transfiguration. He goes up with these three disciples and he is transfigured or it can be translated transformed before them. And he gives them a glimpse of heaven. He gives them a glimpse of his glory. And in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 2 we read, and he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. Jesus goes up on this mountain and his face is like the sun and his clothes are as white as light and they are seeing the glorified Christ. Jesus was revealing who he really is. He was transformed, transfigured from the inside out. A revelation of who he truly is. Though he walked in human flesh among us, he was always and will always be the glorified Christ. This word transformed is only used by the Apostle Paul one other time other than Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. But again, it is very important for us. It is 2 Corinthians 3.18 where Paul says, And we all 
with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed, there's that word, into the image, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Very important. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. As we behold the glory of the Lord, we are transformed into the image of Christ. As we behold the glory of the Lord, we are transformed into the image of Christ. The glory and majesty of Christ transforms our minds. Transform, the word here, refers not to a one-time event, but to a continual process. Now, we are saved. We are born again at one time at a specific time in our lives. We are regenerated. We become new creatures in Christ. But the transformation of our minds is something that happens every day of our Christian lives. And so that brings us to the heart and soul of today's message. I want to share with you four ways that God uses to transform your mind. Four ways that God uses to transform your mind. Now, these are not original with me. I certainly don't take credit for them. They are things that have been taught for centuries in the church. And I, throughout this whole series on what it means to be a disciple, have, of course, used the Scriptures as my primary source. And this is, these four things are taught throughout Scripture, as you'll see as we go along. But I have been privileged to read many good writers who have written extensively on discipleship and what it means to abide with Christ. I've tried to use older writers and more modern writers. I've used men like Oswald Chambers. I mentioned a few weeks ago Andrew Murray. I've used J.C. Ryle, A.W. Tozer, those some names from the past, and some more modern writers. I mean, there are many more than I'm going to name but these are men who have written about what it means to be a disciple. John Piper, David Platt, Francis Chan, uh, Mark Dever has written extensively on what it means, what it is to be a biblical disciple. So I want to share with you four ways, four ways that God, or four things that God uses to transform our minds. We looked at the first one at the end of the message last week, but I want to go through it again. First, we continually savor the beauty of Christ. If our minds are to be transformed, we have to behold the greatness and the beauty and the majesty and the transcendence and the wonder and the amazement of who Christ is and what he has accomplished on our behalf. We fall in love with him. I have shared with you a number of times in this series and a couple of times recently to abide in Christ means to be so in love with Christ, so consumed with Christ that his resurrection life in us transforms who we are and how we live. Folks, there is something that goes on as you behold the beauty of your precious Savior. As you look at the words of Scripture, as you meditate and ponder and reflect upon who he is and all that he means to you, more than you can even understand, you change. 
you change. You may not even fully recognize it, but I will guarantee you the people around you will. They will say something is happening in her life. Something is happening in his life. They will see a beauty. They will see a sweetness. They will see that you are in love with your Savior. They will see the power of Christ, the love of Christ, the truth of Christ actually flowing through you. As I mentioned last week, I'm not sure there is any verse in the New Testament that captures it better than Hebrews 12 too. It's not on the screen, but I love the rendering in the New International Version where it says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And that's it, folks. The first way that our minds are transformed by God because he transforms our minds. He is the one who sovereignly does it. As we gaze upon the beauty of Christ, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, who is everything to us. Second, the second thing that God uses to transform our minds. Second, we continually submit to the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. A number of years ago, I did a whole series of messages on the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the Bible's systematic teaching on who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. And one of the primary responsibilities of the Holy Spirit is to illuminate the minds of believers. He takes the word of God and opens up your mind and opens up your emotions so that you, as a mortal, can engage with God. You can actually meet with God in the pages of Scripture, but you can only do it through the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. And that's why it says in verses like 1 Corinthians chapter 2.14 that the person without the Spirit cannot accept the things of the Spirit. They are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The unbeliever, the person without Christ, opens up the Bible and it is foolishness to him. And he can't understand it. Do you know why he can't understand it? Because he doesn't have the Holy Spirit. But you do. But you do. And we need to beg God when we read the Bible that the Holy Spirit will illuminate our minds and our hearts, that he will open up our minds and hearts to meet with God. He wants to, I really believe this, folks, meet with you in a supernatural way when you open up your Bible. So I just want to encourage all of us again, and I'm not saying this is what you do, but we all have to be reminded of this and warned against it. Don't just casually read your Bibles. Don't just casually read your Bibles. Go there to have a supernatural encounter with God. And I want you to know that you can. You can because of the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. Oh, beg him, beg him to open up the scriptures in all of their fullness, in all of their beauty, in all of their wonder. In the month of May, our pastor's book of the month recommendation that you may remember in the bulletin was a fairly new book by John Piper. 
It is called reading the Bible supernaturally, seeing and savoring the glory of God in Scripture. It is one of the best books I've read on this particular subject. I highly recommend it to you. It is this very subject we're talking about. So if you want to run with this, if you want to really delve into this, I would recommend that book. In fact, I want to read for you just a little bit from the book and make a couple other comments. In this book, John Piper wants to show that the ordinary act of reading the Bible can become miraculous. And we are given eyes to behold the glory of God in the Bible, the glory of the living God. Just a small sample from chapter 23, which is titled, The Power and Patience, or excuse me, The Power of Patience and Aggressive Attentiveness. He writes this, My aim in this chapter is to persuade you and encourage you that as you read the Bible, you can see more than you ever thought you could. And I am going to argue that this will happen not mainly because you learn Greek and Hebrew or get a seminary education, but rather because you form the habit and develop the patience to look longer and more carefully than you ever have. Most failures to see what the Bible's authors intended to communicate are not owing to insufficient education or inadequate intelligence, but to passive reading that is aggressively, or excuse me, that is not aggressively attentive to what is there. So most of our failures, he is saying, in not understanding the Bible or not getting all we can out of it is not because you don't have enough education or intelligence. It's because you read so passively. You don't read aggressively. And you're not really paying attention to what is there. Don Carson, he's a person that myself and the other pastors have mentioned from time to time. He is considered one of the top two or three New Testament scholars in the entire world today. He is the co-founder of the Gospel Coalition along with Tim Keller. He has heartily endorsed this book by John Piper, and this is what he writes in his endorsement. I found this very helpful. He says, in the book, Reading the Bible Supernaturally is a thorough and compelling wake-up call to lethargic, passive, resistant, mechanical Bible readers to become hungry, eager, inquisitive, aggressively observant minors for the treasure in the text. Coming to the Bible, please listen to this, coming to the Bible fully expectant that God will bring us from death to life, from foolishness to wisdom, from damning despair to glorious hope through his word. And I asked myself this week, and I ask you, is that how you approach the Bible? Fully expectant that God will bring you from death to life, from foolishness to wisdom, from damning despair to glorious hope. Well, that's how God wants us to approach his word. Let me say this to you this morning, and I say it in love. If you find the Bible dry and boring, it's your fault. Because it's anything but dry and boring. 
The Bible wants to come alive for you. It's like one of those science fiction books or movie especially written to children where you are transported into a whole new world. You go into a whole nother land. And that's what should happen when we read the Bible. We should let God transport us into the very scenes of the Bible as if we are reliving them all over again. And God is directly speaking to us because he is. When people say, oh, I wish God would speak to me, folks, he has. And he wants to every single day. So first, we continually savor the beauty of Christ. Second, we continually submit to the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. Third, third, we continually read, study, memorize, and meditate on the Word of God. I encourage you to read large portions of the Bible. I encourage you to study smaller portions of the Bible. I encourage you to memorize scripture. And you can do it. You can do it. Whether you're nine years old or 90 years old, you can do it. Because God has given you a mind that remembers, a mind that memorizes. Maybe you can't memorize as fast as someone else or as many verses as someone else. But folks, this is not a race. It is not a contest. It is about your mind being transformed. Whatever ability you have to memorize, you use it. And you use it as often as you can. And then meditate on it. Reflect upon it, ponder upon it, let it just wash through your mind over and over again. We are fond of saying this, the Bible is the word of God, but folks, we need to remember the Bible is the word of God. It is God speaking to us. Every time you open up your English Bible, and we are so fortunate because we have it in our own language, it is very understandable, numerous English, good English translations you need to let the word of God get in you in as many ways as you possibly can. The entire Bible is intended to be a picture of the glory of Christ from Genesis to Revelation. Really, Christ is taught from Genesis to Revelation. And let me say this to all of us this morning. The Bible or excuse me, yes, the Bible is the glory of Christ given to us to transform our minds. The Bible is the glory of Christ given to us to transform our minds. Think of the millions of dollars that are spent every year on world missions, sending missionaries to the farthest reaches of the world, to the corners of the world to the most unreached peoples of the world and one not the only but one of the primary tasks of a missionary especially of a church planting missionary is to thoroughly and painstakingly translate the bible into the heart language of those people and they spend years doing that. And we get letters from them. And we pray for them as they translate the scriptures into the heart language of the people. Why? Why? Because the Bible is the glory of Christ given to us 
to transform our minds. They cannot, and we cannot, have transformed minds apart from the Word of God. I say to you this morning, the Bible is God's tool that he uses to transform your mind. Read it, read it, read it. Study it, memorize it, meditate on it. Get it into you in any and every way that you possibly can. There is a passage of scripture in the Old Testament that probably teaches this better than any that I could think of in all of the Word of God. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It is Moses' instructions to the Israelites. It has actually become a prayer that the Jewish people use even down to this day. It is known as the Hebrew Shema, S-H-E-M-A, the Hebrew Shema. And Devout Hebrews, devout Jews over the centuries have come together individually and as families every morning to pray this. And they say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And then in Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9, it says this. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. What is Moses saying? I want the word of God to be in you everywhere, in every place, in every part of your life. I want you to read, to study, to memorize, and to meditate. When you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. We continually read, study, memorize, and meditate on the Word of God. Number four, the fourth way in which God the fourth way that God uses to transform our minds. Fourth, we continually surrender to the mission of Christ for the world. We continually surrender to the mission of the Christ, uh, the mission of Christ for the world. We want his mission to be our mission. We want to think about his mission. We want to ask ourselves, what does Christ want? What is his goal for the world? What does he see when he sees my life, my church, and the world that I live in. I spent most of April talking with you or sharing with you about what is the mission of a disciple, what is the mission of the church. I won't go back over all of that, but I want to add this morning that God is on the move all over the world. And you know what he wants? He wants people from every people group all over the world to worship him. He wants to save people, to draw people to himself from every skin color, from every language, from every culture, from every ethnic heritage. He wants them to come and worship with us here on earth and ultimately to worship with us around the throne of the Lamb. Let me tell you, that's God's heartbeat. I want to share again something, if you will allow me to, from John Piper. Um, Back in 2012, he preached a, a very well-known message, one you could go back and listen to if you want, that's titled Missions 
exists. Missions exist because worship doesn't. A Bethlehem legacy inherited and bequeathed, Bethlehem being the church that he used to pastor. And I want to share from that sermon with you just a few snippets here just to help us see the heartbeat of God for the world. This is what he says. God is passionately committed to the fame of his name and that he be worshipped by all the peoples of the world. I want you to think about that. God is passionately committed to the fame of his name and that he be worshipped by all the peoples of the world. Therefore, worship is the goal and the fuel of missions. Missions exist because worship doesn't. The reason we send out missionaries is because we don't have worshipers from every people group yet. We don't. And God wants them. He wants them for his glory. He wants them for the fame of his name. And then finally, let me summarize his message this way. Amazing statement. All of history, all of history is moving toward one great goal, the white-hot worship of God and his Son among all the peoples of the earth. I just want you to let that sink deeply in. All of history, as we live and move and breathe right now, all of history is moving toward one great goal, the white-hot worship of God and his Son among all the peoples of of the earth. Let me ask this morning, is Christ's mission my mission? Is Christ's mission your mission? Is this what you think about when you see the world? When you look out at the world and you see all of these people from all of these national boundary countries and from all these individual people groups within these countries, different skin colors, different uh, cultural ways of looking at things and doing things, different dress. When you see them, do you think in your mind, my God wants them for his glory and for the fame of his name? God wants them to become white-hot worshipers of him and his son from among all the peoples of the earth. Folks, this morning, God wants to transform your mind and he wants to transform my mind. And he has given us tools to do it. He has given us the means by which we can radically have changed minds as he works upon us, as he changes us. First, we continually savor the beauty of Christ. Second, we continually submit to the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. Third, we continually read, study, memorize, and meditate on the Word of God. And fourth, we continually surrender, continually surrender to the mission of Christ for the world. The Apostle Paul writes this to us. Do not, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 
Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, change our minds. Transform our minds. In your power, move upon each of us. Lord, give us the discipline, the passion, the hunger, the thirst to be in your word, to want your word to come alive to us that we might see your beauty, that we might see the glory and beauty of your Son. Oh, Lord, as disciples, help us to so abide in Christ that we are gloriously, amazingly transformed by the renewing of our minds. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.